Welcome to our podcast today, Small Business Horsepower, your small business horsepower podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google, Tumblr, and wherever you guys get your podcast, I think you're going to be really pleased today. We're so happy to have with us Gary and Lori Parker. They own the Wine Brasserie. Uh, let me tell you about this place. I've eaten here a number of times. I had lunch and dinner here. Fantastic spot right in the heart of San Diego. We're going to find out all about it. First of all, Gary, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, we're so happy to have you today on the podcast. Let's get started with this. Give us a little background into your guy's career and how you started this place. Well, um, I was working in French restaurants back in the mid-1970s, and I became enchanted with uh, wine. I fell in love with um, a specific wine that I was trying out when I was washing dishes at, at my first restaurant job. And I decided that that was going to be my destiny. I was studying architecture in school and I decided to step off the rails and get into the wine business and the restaurant business. So from there, uh, I ended up working at a, um, after I left the restaurant, I got into the wine business and I was uh, working for a European importer and that's where Lori and I met. And uh, while I was working for this importer, I discovered that people didn't have a place to store their wines. In San Diego, we all have concrete floors, no dens, no underneath or anything like that, and wine needs to be kept cool. Some of my clients said they need a place to store wine, and I called around and there was nobody storing wine in San Diego, and there was just a couple people up in Los Angeles that were storing wines. So I asked Lori if you want to get into this business, and, and we decided yes. We started a small little area, a small little business that uh, was about 800 square feet, and we built 33 wine lockers and set it up at the right temperature. And for the first four months, nobody called. And then after that, we were full in, in a span of two or three months. And so we just kept gathering more and more clients and decided to move over here to our location uh, that we are in right now, the Wine Cellar Brasserie uh, in Mira Mesa, Sorrento Mesa area. And we now have um, lockers uh, that accommodate 215 different um, folks. And we attached a wine shop to it as well. And uh, of course, we wanted to have a restaurant so we could do winemaker dinners and other special events. And that's that's kind of how the, the evolution of the of the thing happened. That's what's really interesting to me because you go to a lot of restaurants. Obviously, you go to places that are wine shops. But here you have the combination of all three, right? You can store your wines you sell wine and have a restaurant for lunch and dinner at the same time, which seems to be a very unique combination. We were pioneers. There was no, nobody doing that. Or actually, even when we started this place in 1988-89, there were no other restaurant wine shops in the nation. There were, actually, there was one. Uh, but I'm not counting them. <laughs> Why are you not counting them? <laughs> oh, because. <laughs> well, because they weren't exactly what we were. They were back east, and they had one building up above that was a wine shop, and then they had a restaurant down below in a different building. So they didn't have the, the wine storage, and we were all under one roof, so... You know, yeah, and I was, was just, just kind of joking around there, but you know, <laughs> so back then it wasn't happening, you know. So, and we still are pretty well unique to this day. Um, I don't know of another restaurant, wine shop, wine storage facility uh, in, in in the nation. Well, how do you separate the? I'm just very interested in these components because I'm sure running a restaurant 
is a different kind of business than selling just wine and then storing wine. So was that a a learning curve for you guys? Because here you are, you're storing wine and now selling wine, okay. And then having to run a restaurant, you find that they're all kind of different in their nature? They are very different in, in their nature. They also integrate very well. So locker renters come buy wine in the wine shop. People come to the wine shop, go to the restaurant. People that go to the restaurant store wine. So they all intermingle. I knew how to uh, work restaurants. I taught myself how to you know run a wine shop. And then the storage facility is relatively low maintenance, except for the bookkeeping, which Lori does. You know when you got people that move in and out and things like that. But it's been pretty well occupied, ninety-five to hundred percent occupancy rate. And so for us, that's a really nice um, addition to our overall revenues. You know, they, they provide us with basically our rent every month, just the just locker renters do. So we have a one-up as far as the restaurant, the wine shop goes. Yeah, but I've, I've had on the podcast uh, another owner of a restaurant. And one of the things which I also want to talk to you about, we talked about is just that consistency required in running a restaurant, especially out of the chef area, because you see these corporate restaurants like and you know chains their food is always very consistent because they have a certain formula that they're going to make it with so even if an employee change changes they're going by a very consistent formula so the food is very consistent where in these private restaurants you see if the chef changes it's a big deal because now you have a different kind of feel to it. And so how have you guys uh, been able to deal with that and establish, you would think, a consistency for such a high-end restaurant that you have? Well, when we started this place, we had uh, our partner was was an exceptional chef. And, and so we documented all of the dishes that we served. We, we wrote them down and made recipes for them. Then when we had we had opened up a second restaurant in 1995, which was called Laurel Restaurant and Bar, and that was a much larger restaurant. This restaurant here seats 60. The one down there sat, sat 140, and uh, so we had a more diverse menu. Although it was still French, it was more Southern French in in origin, and we had uh, a much larger staff. But uh, the point is that that we kept recipes for all of these. Things. So now I have a bank of 250 recipes that we want our chefs to use when they come in. We've had people here that probably shouldn't have been duplicating some of these things throughout the years. You know, you, you have people that come and go. Fortunately, I think we've, we've done really well in keeping a, a good kitchen staff going and a good representation of, of the wines or the food that we serve based on the execution of the recipes properly. And one thing that's been really exceptional for us is that uh, the original chef, when he left, he had trained behind him several, both here at the Wine Cellar and Brasserie and at Laurel Restaurant and Bar. And so we were able to pull off of people who were trained directly from the original chef on the original recipes. So that's gone down the chain. And we're still to this day have someone who was trained by uh, the original chef. So... You've had this one for many years. The Laurel one, you uh, we were just talking before the show, that one what closed after 10 years? Uh, did you? Yes, it was uh, 1995 we started it, and it was a smash hit in, in San Diego. It, was, it, it went uh, extremely well, much better than we were projecting. And then as time went on, our chef partner, who we mentioned earlier, wanted to change his lifestyle and move back east. 
And uh, so he was no longer going to be a part of the operation. And then we had 911 happen in 2001. Yeah. And then I had a competitor, two competitors move in, like one right across the street and one up the street that took away a bit of our business. And just a, a, mul a multitude of things turned that restaurant from a raging success to, you know, not doing, not performing so well. At the end of 10 years, our lease was up and right. uh, the lease was going to go uh, to more than $1,000 a day. And we just thought a thousand a day. Yeah. And so we just said, you know what, we'll just sell it. So that's what we did without our partner or chef helping us out. We lived up in Encinitas. And so Laurel was all the way down in Bankers Hill area. Uh, so coming here at the wine cellar and brasserie and then going down to Laurel was really, really hard and stepping into a place that had 50 or 60 employees and trying to get a grasp on it was something that we weren't really capable or, or wanted to do anymore. We couldn't do it to the ability that we wanted. Yeah. You know. So you knew that it was time to sell it. Yeah. It was yeah. time to sell, and we're glad we did. We're, I mean, it was it was a wonderful it was a wonderful trip. Is it still there under new ownership? Or well, they kept the the restaurant as Laurel for a year or two, and then they it didn't really go so well. But these days, it's called Kerchina Urbana. And uh, it's one of the more popular and successful restaurants. Oh, I, don't, I think I've been there. Yeah, that's Urbana. That's what it is now, right? That was our location. We built it out from a bank. So it was halfway subterranean and uh, has a real special feel to it. We took the bank vault and made it into the walk-in um, refrigerator. refrigerator. Yeah, <laughs> so it was fun. That is so neat, right? I've seen stuff like that. I actually went to a restaurant in Montreal that someone told me about, which was an old prison, and it was converted to an Italian restaurant. It's one of the most famous restaurants there. And I walk in and I walk downstairs and they kept the old prison door. Like you barely can open the door and then you go in and then the kitchen is down there and the restaurant and this this lady that is in the back, she's incredible. The owner, she's like almost 90 and she doesn't speak uh, French or English. She only speaks Italian. Like And then Johnny Depp and the other guy... I forgot. They were filming movie there for a month, so they went back there every day, met her, and were helping her in the kitchen. And it was a crazy... They changed their menu every single day. Like, they don't have a printed menu, so they bring out a board to you every day, and then they read the six or eight items they're preparing that day, and you choose... So the other thing, I learned so much there too, because like, I would think like you go in a restaurant, like an Italian restaurant, that pasta is homemade. No, you walk in there and it's the same blue package you can get at Vaughn's or the store. They really concentrate on their sauces. And then when I asked Anthony, who I did this podcast at Godfather, my friend, he told me it's the same thing. Like people don't want sometimes very soft pasta and also it's all in the sauce and all, but not all restaurants make that hand made pasta you so you learn a lot when you go behind the scenes and that's something i want to ask you guys because inventory is key right in any business i mean i owned a business in aerospace inventory is key how do you balance like how many items you put on your menu versus how many dollars you tie up in inventory or do you change your menu often or you keep it very consistent like what's your philosophy in that well <clears throat> The food inventory is nothing near as as dramatic as the wine inventory. That's a good point. The wine inventory is six figures plus. Six figures? Yeah. And the food inventory is maybe five figures or 
you know, four or five figures. So right. it's nine to twelve thousand dollars or something like that. And then as far as what we do with our recipe um, or, or our, our our listing on the on the menu is we we try to have as a diverse selection as we possibly can. COVID kind of slowed us down a little bit, you know, because the restaurant got slower and so there was more waste and things like that. And then our chef has trouble finding help, supporting help and things like that. Every business today, right? You just can't find good people or you can't find people ever since COVID. Seems like people want to stay home and watch Dr. Phil and get a little bit of a handout yeah. there, right? Now, let's be honest about it. Like every owner I talk to, including businesses that I still work with, it's always the same problem, finding good people or even just people. It used to, yeah, it, and that's, it's just so true, and it's it's befuddling in a sense, but, you know, our, our chef has been with us for many, many years, and she's very strong, and she's very careful about the food she puts out there, and we've had relatively good success with, with our kitchen people. Our servers are fantastic. We've had one guy that's been here 25 years now. Sick. 26 years. I know that guy. He remembers me when I come in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then another one, uh, Tom Bertrand, who's been with us probably a collective 15 or 16 years or something like that. So the the front of the house is pretty well covered. And so, you know, we used to pay a dishwasher, you know, as as short as five years ago, seven bucks an hour. And now it's 20 and $22 an hour. And that makes a difference in, you know, your overall bottom line. And yeah, you can't get them to come in. You know, it's, you, they, sometimes they'll come and interview and they, and they say, oh, okay, well, let's start you on Tuesday. And then, boom, you never hear from them again. And it's, uh, anyway, that's, that's today's challenge. But we've shortened up our menu to accommodate that because we can't make 25 or 30 different things with, with the staff that we have. So we said, okay, well, here's the ones that people like the most. And we do try to change the menu seasonally because we have all of those recipes. You know, we have something. 250 recipes. 250, yeah. Some things can't go away. We've had tuna tartare since the day we opened up, and it's the same recipe. We have lamb salad since the day we opened up. Same, 35 years later, same thing. Can't, can't, can't take it off the menu. Duck confit. Duck confit, can't check it off the menu. But, you know, the, the fishes change, uh, the sauces change. The soups change, the salads change with the seasons. You know, that's how we, that's how we have to do it. Wow. You know what? I, I've been meaning to ask this because it's, it's always interesting to me because when I owned a company, it was nearby here. And in those days, I used to come here for lunch sometimes with clients and so on that would come from out of state and see me. It's one of the few restaurants where I drive into what I would call a light industrial area, and it's in the back of an industrial area. So, you know, you I heard about it from word of mouth. Someone said, hey, check out this wine brasserie, but it's not like some on a front main road. I wonder the challenge of that. Uh, can you speak to the challenge of that? Or is it is it nice in a way, like it's a kind of hideaway? <laughs> <laughs> a well-kept secret in some aspects. We get people who walk in almost every day and say, I, I go by here all the time. Had no idea you were here. I just happened to glance up as I was going by, see the sign. But the reason we're here, of course, is because of the uh, wine storage. Wow. So that was our main emphasis when we moved over. So um, we had to have three stories of which Gary designed with his architecture background, wine storage. So this was a great 
place in the middle of San Diego. We were the only place that stored wine in San Diego, so we tried to get it as centrally located as possible. This is where it ended up. Um, and also, we weren't going to have a full-on restaurant when we started. We built our kitchen so that we'd have uh, wine dinners and have special events and so forth, because we didn't think people would find us in the industrial area. <laughs> but by popular demand, because Gary had such a great name in fine dining in San Diego for so long, People were calling and we had lines out the door and demanding that we be open for dinner every night and then lunch every day or vice versa. I think it was we started with lunch to try to go softly. But uh, and so by popular demand, they just kept asking for one thing and another. Wine tours got added on in 2001. Yeah, I was reading about that. You guys do wine tours too, huh? Overseas and all that. You go to Argentina and places. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So like we said that uh, people kept asking, you should do wine tours, you should do wine tours, you'd be great. And we want to learn about wines from around the world. So we started in uh, France in 2001. And we try and do a different, we've been honing them, of course, every year, we try and make them better. But our main emphasis is to try new and different wines, and to really get to know the regions, the the terroir, what the different wines are. Like last year, we did France again, but we did the Rhone. So South Rhone, North Rhone, what are the grapes that they use differently? How do they grow differently? How do they deal with it being warmer in the Southern Rhone than the Northern Rhone, of course? But also, you know, food because anyone who's into fine food is generally into fine dining. So we really enjoy the cuisine of the area, we try and get to know the people. So we'll go into winemakers' homes or, you know, that kind of thing. And then we really like to get the culture of the country too. So it's not just wine, just food, but we get to see the great sites, go on special tours and that type of thing. Wow. And do you both go together for these? Then who's back here at the shop watching this business? That's a... our fantastic staff. <laughs> That's great. So that shows how much trust, right, you have in your staff that you don't have to be here for them to run this, at least for a short period of time. What would you say, like, if I had to just ask, like, is the baseline of the business, this wine storage makes all this possible or having this wine shop or the restaurant? What's the key component here for both profitability and kind of like where you see the key to this business? Throughout our history, we've had different cases and instances where the restaurant was the revenue producer. And then when the restaurant got slow, like, you know, during recession times and things like that, people were buying more wine and drinking more wine. So the wine shop became more profitable. The storage facility keeps on producing all the time. It doesn't really matter what. And then the restaurant and the wine shop produce an almost an equal amount of opportunity for us. And then the storage. And then the last thing is, well, the tours that we do, which we now do two every year that are two weeks long, approximately each. And uh, so that's a nice source of revenue. And then we have three different wine of the month clubs. And we have 500 or so people that are signed up for that. And we send them out wines every month. And it's a tutorial, but it's also an advantage to people that are in the wine clubs. For instance, we're sending out, we have we have three different clubs. One is a white and a red for $40. One is two reds for $50 to $60, depending. And then there's one that's kind of a collector's that's $80 to $100, maybe more. And I generate tasting notes for these things. So I tell the people how 
how to look for the way the coloring of it, the, uh, the fragrance of it, the texture in your mouth and the flavors that you get, and then how to pair the wine and whether or not to age it. So that's recurring revenue for us every month. That's really a, a solid factor in our profitability as well. And then our wine dinners, which we <clears throat> do every other week as well. Yes. Yeah. We bring winemakers down, wine owners, oh, and yeah. we do um, wine dinners, and those are very very popular. By the way, you're listening to Gary and Lori Parker today on Small Business Horsepower. So happy to have them. I'm getting thirsty and hungry just thinking about all this stuff right here. This is good stuff. Now, speaking of that, uh, Gary, I have a question like both of you, but do you choose, do you have someone help you or you choose all the wines you bring in yourself or how do you do this thing? In the beginning, I did. In the beginning, I, I ran the wine shop and I also was the Majority in the restaurant, and then eventually we hired people to come in and to take over some some of my duties, and then I became more of an administrator, especially when we opened up Laurel. So that's when I kind of turned the reins over. But I have a guide, you know. I have a mantra that I want my wine shop people to carry, and then as we carry the best wines that we can find that are unique that aren't grocery store wines and that we can offer to them in a hand sell, so you understand what it is you're getting and at a very very fair price. And so anything that falls within those confines for me are great. The other thing that we feel we have an advantage of is with the wine lockers. You know, with 215 renters, occasionally somebody will not drink anymore for health reasons or they pass away, they they go into debt or whatever, and they need to divest themselves of their collection. So we pick up these wines that have been off the market that these guys have been saving for five or 10 or 15 or 20 years or more. And we have an opportunity to put them on our wine list in the restaurant and or sell them to private collectors or to our customers that walk through the door. And that for me is really fun. I like digging through the cellar and picking up a dusty old bottle and looking at it and wondering where it's been and hoping that it's gonna end up on my table you know (laughs) right so what i'm understanding is you have people who do this now they go and find the wines and select them but you know you don't you do them yourself or they come to us yeah generally they come to us and gary goes in and to the cellar and yeah the vendors come to us generally generally the vendors come in right so you're not out looking as such vendors come to you and say wholesalers this is what we have and so on so yes and we have more than a hundred of them hundred vendors or yeah yeah so it's not just five people or five different companies we're buying wine from there's some people some wineries sell direct some take on wholesalers then you got your importing wines you know some uh, we used to import wines a long time ago as well i remember that right because uh of the partners jim nordstrom i know too right you and jim used to do that import from argentina i bought one of those cases i remember that that was good stuff yeah (laughs) i just had my last bottle of that two weeks ago and it was good and it was good it was really good actually yeah i bought that the first week that whole thing came out i bought that yeah jim told me about it and i bought that that was good stuff yeah yeah you stopped that business though right uh but it was really really a lot of work and it takes a lot of space and takes somebody that's dedicated to it and i couldn't do it with all these arms that i've got in my existing business that needed attention that was the last time we did it before we imported wines from france and from italy and south africa and new zealand so we did on a number of occasions but that was the last one it was a it was a big commitment Uh, we basically got almost 2500 cases of wine that we imported and, and where do you put the stuff and uh okay now it's here now how do you get rid of it? And so it, it's a lot to do, and it took away from my other duties. So 
that was it. You guys own this building or rent it, or how do you guys do the We rent, and we've had, uh, I think, half a dozen landlords since 1988. The original landlord uh, was actually an investor in our business. He built our place out for a percentage of the company, a small percentage, but, you know, anyway, he had it. And then uh, he enlisted some other people to participate, and then we ended up buying them out maybe five or six years later. And then uh, we had another group of partners for Laurel, and then we combined all of our partners at one point, and then we just kept buying everybody out as it goes on. So now we own well over the majority of the company. And like you said, this wine storage helps pay for that rental of the space every month. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I happened to be looking at the rent that I paid when we first moved in, and it's quadrupled today. Same space. Well, 35 years. 35 <laughs> years later, yeah. So, folks, you wonder why that soup costs $15 and not 5 like it used to. There doesn't mean that all of that went to profit, right? The expenses are just so high nowadays for everything. I mean... And you, you see it all across the board. You know, Lori and I like to go out on Sundays, and, and that's our day off. And we, you know, like to go to a place that serves a nice lunch. Not a brunch, but a lunch. And nowadays, the least expensive bottle of wine you can find is 60 bucks you know and it used to be 28 or 35 or 42 dollars and i know what these people are paying for that wine it's the same thing they paid for it when they sold it for 36 dollars a bottle but they've got to take the margin because you know like i had mentioned earlier dishwashers are making 20 bucks an hour the, the kitchen helper making 25 23 24 26 dollars an hour chefs want six figures you know electric bill is three or four grand a month, you know, so, so you kind of go, well, I, I don't know if I can really sell a $30 bottle of wine anymore. Although right. we do, yeah. you know, we, we have, we, we think that we have the best prices in town on wine, you know, in the restaurant. And we know we do. Uh, it's just kind of a little known fact. And a very good selection. And a very good selection. selection yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then let me finish with this. Man, a half an hour went so fast, but let me finish with this. Where can people find you? Uh, website. Uh, we have people all over the world, and uh, especially the U.S. who listen to the show, and uh, would love for people to be able to contact you. I'll tell them that I've eaten here, folks. And if you ever have a chance, you're in San Diego or you live in San Diego. This is a great restaurant. I love the food. But people may want to join the wine club, go on a trip. So why don't you guys tell them all about it? Well, first of all, hello to everybody out there. And I hope you do contact us. Lori and I would love to entertain the possibility of taking you on our, one of our wine tours. Our trip this year to Greece is sold out, but we're going to the south part of Italy next year, 2024. You can find us at winecellar.com. We're the Wine Cellar and Brasserie. Wine Cellar is spelled wine, W-I-N-E, and then S E. L-L-A-R, winecellar.com. You go to our website and everything's on there. The trips, the lockers, the food, the wine list, everything. Even a picture of Lori and I. <laughs> they tried to touch mine up, but it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and that's S as in Sam. So it's W-I-N-E-S as in Sam, E-L-L-A-R. Well, thank you both of you for coming on the show on Small Business Horsepower today. We really appreciate your time and then hope that you can come back in the future and I can ask some more questions as we ran out of time today. It's wonderful being here. Thank you so much. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate it.